Welcome to the Afternoon Snack Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Root. This is a podcast about... Well, hold up. I want to be part of the intro, too. Okay, go ahead. Uh, oh, n- never mind. You can you can do it. Okay. Uh, like I was saying, I'm Meredith Root, former engineer, CrossFit Games athlete, and owner of Tactic Nutrition. That was the one and only Alex Parker, former lawyer, also a CrossFit Games athlete, and co-owner of Tactic Nutrition. This podcast is about fitness, health, nutrition, CrossFit, business, mindset, and things that grind our gears. Wait, hang on. Ivy wants to say something. Go ahead, Ivy. Ah, she's, she's shy. No surprise there. Our goal is to give you something to think, talk about, hopefully make you laugh a little along the way. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Hi. I don't have time for your, <laughs> I don't have time for your bullshit today. Okay. I'll keep it to a minimum. I highly doubt that. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, how are your feet? They're sore. The tops of them hurt. It's weird. Like that bony part on the top. It's like, I don't know. Is there a bony part or is it just like bones? <laughs> it's all bones. It's weird. It's like when I try to like cross my toes, that's what hurts. So I think it's it's muscle, obviously, but also it's just like doesn't feel great. Do you often cross your toes? Mm, to see if my foot it hurts my foot, I do. Is that like a new thing that you've started doing? Yeah. Have you ever seen those people who who do like they'll do weird stuff with their toes when they're sitting still? Like pe- some people do with their hands, but they do it with their toes. No, it's weird. I used to notice it a lot in swimming, I guess, because people are barefoot more often. But you'll just be like sitting there like at a meet or something and people are like working their toes. It's weird. Unconsciously? Subconsciously? Yeah, just like it's like fidget. It's like a fidgeting Hmm. thing. But they'll like cross their toes and uncross them, cross them, uncross them. Hmm. I think maybe that's where my like hatred of feet came from. It's having to like stare at them as a kid. Maybe. They're so gross. Ugh. Icky. I think I mentioned in our last podcast that I was having hip problems and the, like a couple days before, like the, the marathon, I was, I was like, I, my hip is is feeling better. It was weird. It like started getting sore in like other spots on my hip. Like I had like doms everywhere. It was like the pain was migrating and Meredith was like, (laughs) maybe it's because you've basically been doing the equivalent of like three synchronized swimming routines with your legs per day because like every time I sat down I would like lift my leg up to test my hip flexor (laughs) and I'd be like standing up and like doing hip circles and it's like all that accessory work that you don't always do at the end of your workouts you're now doing like three or four times a day just like single leg pike ups (laughs) all the time it's like I probably did at least 2,000 single leg pike ups. Yeah. In the week leading up to the marathon, testing my hip. I mean, it's like, it's no surprise it was sore. And then miraculously, as soon as you stopped doing that so much, yeah, it stopped being so sore. Yeah. It was almost like a few days before the marathon. I'm like, it is what it is. And I stopped worrying about it and stopped doing all that stuff to it. And it felt better. So live and learn. I mean, I told you that, but... I had to learn it for myself. Mm -hmm. 
Some things you need to experience for yourself. I guess so. Anyways, we just got back from Chicago. Home of the Magic Mile. <laughs> Miraculous Mile. Miracle Mile. <laughs> this is a frustrating story because every time Alex would talk about I don't even remember mile, what I was <laughs> Every time the Magnificent Mile would come up, she would call it Miracle Mile. No, I didn't. I was calling it something else. No, I don't that's even remember. what you were calling it. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but of course you don't remember that. So she would say it and then I would correct her and say Magnificent Mile. And then she'd say it again and I would correct her. And then we were having... Is it actually the Magnificent Mile? Yes. Okay. Okay. And then we... <laughs> and I was calling it the Miracle Mile. Yeah. Right. And then your parents' friend called it the Magic Mile. <laughs> And then I got so confused that I called it the Majestic Mile. <laughs> Me, the one who knew knew the name all along, your like your Miracle Mile and Magic Mile just got me so confused that then I couldn't remember what it was called. It was a real moment. I think at least ma- Majestic is close to Magnificent because there's a G involved. It's definitely but there's also closer. a G in Magic. Magic's like the wrong number of syllables. <laughs> no, you. I don't know how that, I don't know how you do that one. Anyways, it's the, whatever you want to call it, it's far from magic, magical, miraculous, magnificent, or majestic. I couldn't believe the number of people. It was busy. It was like, and maybe, I think partially too, it was like sensory overload. Mm -hmm. Like we haven't been, not like Calgary ever really gets that crowded maybe stampede, but we haven't been around people like that in a year and a half. And all of a sudden we're just, we're like in Chicago with thousands of people on the street and it's loud. People are like just being obnoxious. There's like Jesus freaks on the side, on the corner microphones, microphones and signs. I was like, this is like, this is a lot. And then we, we didn't even go. So it's like a big shopping district. We didn't really even go shopping because most stores had a lineup outside. So we basically walked like halfway up the. What is it called? Magnificent. Magnificent mile. <laughs> and then, yeah, turned around and went home. I At guess one point I was see. just like, Meredith, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> are you enjoying yourself? She was like, I'm pretty much done here i'm like i've been done for five minutes can we go home the good news is we're definitely on the same page with regards to that like i'm not one to like force an experience just because and i'm not really a big shopper so we don't really ever have to worry about getting ourselves into a situation where one of us is like i really want to go home and the other one is like no we have to do this like we're pretty much lockstep on those activities i think for the most part And then on top of it all, I wasn't planning on really doing much shopping because we had just spent $750 on COVID tests to get home. (laughs) That one hurt. So that was a shocker. Well, especially because when I booked those, so if you don't know that like to travel into the U.S., you have to get a COVID test to travel back into Canada. You have to have a COVID test. So we basically took a test middle of last week to go to the u.s and then had to go on saturday to get one to get back into canada and when i booked them it's 
they're not doing like free testing really anymore like they were um or at least it's not as prevalent and so i found like covid center of chicago or whatever and on on their website they had like a rapid like an antigen test which we aren't allowed to get for canada rapid pcr and then like a 24-hour turnaround pcr and i was like oh that'd be perfect the 24-hour turnaround was like 180 dollars or something still a lot but not that much and then we get there and the <laughs> well first of all we end up in an uber where this guy i think he thought he was driving like a go-kart it was basically right it was basically like riding in a mario kart he was ripping around the chicago streets like he was the only one on the road taking shortcuts <laughs> through parking lots this, but he would decide on a shortcut at the very last minute yeah so we'd be like driving through a, like a, an intersection and they'd be like never mind and like take a hard right yeah and i get car sick so easily take the like, turn took the turn on two wheels i hate ubers i hate them Partially it's because I have to sit in the back, which I hate. I can't sit in the back of cars usually because I get really car sick. And then you add on top of that the way that most Uber drivers drive, which is like they're the only ones in the car. I was like, I'm, I mean, you can keep dri driving like this, but I'm going to, I'm about three minutes away from vomiting in your car. So we pull up and this COVID of Chicago is an old like car wash. Literally basically like, just a, like, like a car wash bay. It doesn't even have like doors on it. I think they and must have used it. One for wall is painted red, and it like had the like the front facade. The front facade is painted red, and it had a white little cross on it. And I'm pretty sure there was a band aid, like drawn on, like painted. Yeah. And it said COVID of Chicago. And when we pulled, out, I was like, "This can't be." Mm -hmm. It looked like somewhere you would dispose of used needles. Maybe it's dual purpose. It could have been. And it smelled like people who would use used needles. It smelled like pee. Yeah. No um, offense to those people. Yeah, I don't think they listen to our podcast. No. But, um, yeah, so anyways, we get in there, and your mom had texted us right when we pulled up, and she was like, $375. But it would not be unlike her to just say that to be funny. She always tries to pull our, pull our legs. Very obvious, though. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, no, it's not. And it was like we got in there and they I was basically like, well, I booked online and it said $180 for this test, like the 24 hour test. And they were like, oh, we don't run that at this location or the other locations downtown Chicago. We only do the the rapid PCR, which is a very expensive test. And. You know, at that point, you're like, what are you going to do? Because there's you're standing in that building. Your, your options are like you can leave, not pay try to like scramble around and find something else, but you don't want to be doing that the day before you race or you just, you know, pay them $375 and give them one of your kidneys and you're out the door <laughs> with hopefully a negative COVID test. Yeah. That one was, that hurt. That hurt my heart. That really hurt. It's partially too. Like, anytime, I almost fainted. Anytime <laughs> something costs double what you expect it to cost, bit of a shock. Literally like you're adding on a thousand dollars Canadian to any, any trip with that plus not to mention the cost going out yeah so that's been that was a huge bummer but we got it we the were rest negative. of the trip was good it was um you had your marathon which went great mm -hmm. why don't you talk a little about that um well i was pretty nervous leading up to it because 
the Chicago Marathon sends a lot of emails leading up, like about logistics. Um, they they do they do like a rating based on like um, how like the good or bad the conditions are going to be, and so as the week progressed, the ratings or the yeah the rating on the conditions went from like green, which was ideal running conditions, to yellow, and then they were saying like in the afternoon of that day, the conditions were going to be in the red. And that was just like based on heat and humidity. So a couple of days before the, the race, they were saying like conditions are going to be in the yellow. Like you need to make sure you stay hydrated and all that. So that was kind of, I was worried about the heat, even though I had been training like over the summer. So it was fine. Um, but then they were also sending emails about like, like there's a, there was a lot of stuff about like package pickup and then the logistics of the race. Cause there's so many people and like you need to, you don't just go to the start line. Like there's specific corrals you have to go to that you can't switch corrals. Like if you're heat, like I was wave two heat G, um, I couldn't, you're not allowed to go anywhere else and they're all divided. Um, so it's just like a very, it, it was fine on the race day, but I was very concerned about like how logistically it was going to play out. And like then also my heat started at 8am and on the, on the email they're like we recommend getting there at 6 a.m yeah and i was like i'm gonna have to stand in my heat corral for two hours but then i knew somebody who had run the chicago marathon before and they were like no that's not you don't have to be there at 6 a.m um so they helped me through that the the expo to go pick up your race bit package which was like two Either Saturday, Friday or Saturday. So either the day before or the day before the day before. Yeah. Two days before. The lineup to get in, because they also had to check proof of vaccination or proof of negative COVID test. The line to get in was the longest line I have ever seen in my entire life. It had to have been almost a kilometer long. Oh, I think it was probably longer than that. And it was in a building, which is crazy. The building Huge was building. humongous. They do like auto shows and stuff apparently. So it's like, it's that kind of building. Um, but I ended up getting the race package and that was all fine. But the, once the race got off, uh, like it, in a marathon, like you, you kind of expect, you kind of expect people to kind of spread out throughout the course. But that never happened. There was just like, it was masses and masses and masses of people the entire time. And not just on the course, but also on the side of the course. Like there were certain parts of the course where the fans, the spectators were like five or six people deep. Yeah. And they had like, there was music going. There was just like people cheering. It was so loud. I actually ran into a woman at the porta potties in the lineup. And she was saying that she did it two years ago or before COVID and she said that when she first did it, she had headphones in because she was used to running with headphones. She was like, that was a big mistake. I didn't need them. And I wish I didn't have them because I got on the course and I realized like there's so much going on. And to, to really experience the course, you don't want headphones. Like you don't need them for to entertain yourself. There's just a lot. Yeah. Which there was. I just did the math that if there's 40,000 people running, which I think was the estimation, that's 952 people per kilometer. So it's yeah. almost so I actually out think there get. weren't 40,000. Okay. I think there was uh, uh, just under 30,000 this year. 
Okay. That's what I read on Instagram. So still like 700 and something. Yeah. So that's why it, and it, it never let up. Yeah. And it, and it was crazy because, and I said this on Instagram, but I started in the second wave um, and they, they rank you in, they put you in your, in your waves and your heats based on the times that you submit when you register. And I didn't do my registration. The people from team and training did it. So I guess they had maybe put me down for like a much slower marathon than I was planning on running. So I was with a lot of people who were slower than me. So I was passing tons and tons of people, which was a little bit annoying, but I just did it like it was going to be the way it was and tried to stay to the, the side. But there was a, there were a couple spots on the course over the bridge. They have like, they're like graded. Yeah. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. And they, but the grades are pretty wide. They're about the width of like the widest part of a running shoe. Huh. Um, and on half of the, the bridge, they had like a red carpet. So everyone would kind of try to funnel onto the red carpet. And I was like, I'm trying to stay away from people cause I'm passing so many. So I'm like running on this grate, and it was so sketchy. I almost had to like kind of like run on my tippy toes because mm-hmm. otherwise you would get like, you could potentially catch like a toe in the grate or the side yeah. of your shoe and stuff. But other than that, it was pretty smooth sailing. So what was your, what was your final time? Uh, three hours, 22 minutes, 34 seconds. And you ran how much longer? About, I think it was like 0. 0.8, 0. 0.75 of a kilometer. So almost a full kilometer extra. Which I guess most people do because there, there's only like the shortest possible route on any marathon course is like marked by this, by a blue line that runs down the middle. So if you're not running on that line, then you're going to run, you're going to run extra. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if you take corners wider, or even if you did. take corners, like some, like, yeah, yeah. You're going to unnecessarily add different distance, but it's hard. Like when you're in a field of runners, that's that large. It's pretty impossible not to do that. Yeah. It would have been slower to try to run on the blue line. Yeah. Cause you just, and everyone kind of likes running in the middle, which mm-hmm. kind of makes sense. Cause on most of those roads, they do kind of, they there's do like a camber from the, yeah. And so if you're running on the outside, there's, you know, a bit of a slant, yep. which I was like, I'm just going to deal with it. And like the slants changed. Like sometimes I'd run on the left. Sometimes I'd run on the right. Yeah. So it's fine. But I think people just n- naturally were gravitating towards the middle yeah. until like the aid stations came and then they would disperse to the right or the left to grab water and Gatorade. So is that your, that was your goal time? It was, yeah, my goal was three thirty, but throughout training, I was like, eh, I think I can run a sub three twenty five if I'm feeling good. Yeah. And I started out, I started out at my first kilometer was like a four fifty two, which was, um, what I was kind of planning on sustaining for the entire time. Cause, but then my second and third kilometers were, much faster. They were like 425. So 425 would be around a seven minute, 14 second pace. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, Nelly. Yeah. We got to slow her down a little. And then I kind of just settled in around like a three, sorry, 445 per kilometer. Which is around seven minutes, 35. Yeah. So, and my, my, the first half of the, the marathon was almost the exact same time as my second half. That's remarkable. Yeah. So I didn't really slow down much. Yeah. I think that's, um, uncommon mm-hmm. for most people. And then I did have to take a bathroom break. I think it was about kilometer. I don't know if it was five or 15. Honestly, I, I, I 
struggling to really remember the details of the race. But at one point I was like, I kind of started feeling like I had to go to the washroom. They have been around like 12 K. Yeah. And they have porta potties on, on the course, like different spots, probably every five kilometers. And I was like considering like, do I stop? Do I not stop? And I'm like, and eh, it'll probably just go away. Yeah. But then I'm like, what if it doesn't? And I'm also trying to consume a lot of liquid. So I didn't want to be like worried about having to pee. So I was like running and considering this. And then I saw the porta potties. And then I was like, if I see one on the edge that has like the green, cause you know, like the, the green and red dots based on who's in there. Yeah. I was like, if I see a green one, I'm going to run in there. And I saw the green one. So I like, ju- like jumped off course, sl- went straight into the porta potty, like ripped my pants down. Like I was so frantic and then sat on the toilet and I was like 10 seconds of like trying to get things going. Yeah. <laughs> Just like waiting, like, come on, come on. Everybody knows Can that someone feeling. turn a tap on here? <laughs> and then I went and then I basically busted out of the porta potty and like tried to like regain. But again, there's like people along the sidelines. Yeah. So I, I ducked right beside this kid who was holding the sign. I was like, oh, I almost took you out. You don't even know. You don't even know. Regain, like rejoined the runners and was off and running. Yeah, and you made up for that time as yeah. Best as I actually because I had a bit of adrenaline from that experience. Oh sure. So I ended up running that kilometer in four fifty eight. Yeah. So I really didn't lose that much time. I made it. I was like, <laughs> you must have run like a four minute. Yeah. 410. I think I did. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah, and then we were kind of. And then the next kilometer, I was like rearranging my shorts because I you know, frantically pulled everything down and then back up. So they're probably twisted. They were twisted. And then I had to figure out. And then at one point, like my, where I was carrying all my gels, like my fanny had been twisted around. Yeah. And it was so annoying. It wasn't like flat against my upper back or lower back. It was like rolled up and like, kind of like flapping every time I ran. Yep. So I had to have one of my gels early to lighten the load a little. At least you didn't lose any in the, in the toilet. Can you imagine if you like pulled your shorts down to go to the bathroom and then all your gels fall into the porta potty? That's a story. <laughs> that is a that story. That would have been devastating. Yeah. But I mean, the zipper was done up. I know. So I don't know how that would have happened. It could have happened. Anyways. Yeah. We were kind of, uh, we were trying to follow you around. So we caught you at the two mile mark, which is kind of running like downtown right by our hotel. Um, and we almost, we almost missed you because you were on the opposite side of where we were standing. Thankfully, my mom's voice, I can pick out of a crowd. It's, it carries very well. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Mine doesn't. I'm one of those people who like I yell and somehow get quieter. Which <laughs> is always why like I struggled with cr- coaching CrossFit classes where the other coaches or athletes have to have the music all the way up. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like, well, <laughs> I guess I'll do sign language. <laughs> like, you know, I hate yelling. I know. But yeah. Um, at that point, though, so they had the app, like the, the Chicago Marathon app, and it would it had the little bubble and would show you where your, your runner was. And you were ahead of, like, there was a lag. So it was showing you, like, you hadn't made the turn yet, and then all of a sudden you were just there. So um, there was that. And then we walked from there, because you were running north at that point. So we walked from there to, like, the half marathon mark. Waited, waited, waited. And we were watching the app and kind of figured, all right, like she should be like based on maybe there being a delay, she should be here, you know, around this time. We had the camera ready. We had the phones ready for video. Totally missed you, which is crazy because it was three people looking 
And those those team and training jerseys, the like purple and green, are really easy to spot. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how that happened. I was looking for you guys around the 13 mile mark. And then it's weird because I was also looking. Team and training apparently had a group that was was going to be at the 21 mile mark. Yeah. Like just a, a cheering section. Yeah. And I was looking for them and I didn't see them either. Yeah. Like I honestly, the whole thing was just a complete blur. There yeah. was so much going on. I, I couldn't, I don't know how anyone even <laughs> saw, like sees anybody noticed anything. Yeah. The, At one point you're like, what was the best part of the course? I'm like, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it all looked the same to me. You're like looking at the ground in front of you. The, um, the plan after the half, uh, the, uh, the half marathon mark was to hop on the red line, like the train the subway and take it south to like around the 21 mile mark. And I was so proud because this, this is like a perfect plan. I had the train schedule. It's going to work great. So we make our way to the subway station. We get the like subway cards. We go down there and there's tons of people for who are doing the exact same thing. They're trying to get on the red line and make it down to that, like to Chinatown. And so I'm like, I have the Google, like the train schedule on Google Maps and it keeps delayed, 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 delayed keeps getting delayed and it kind of it finally gets to the point where i'm like hey we're not gonna even if we get on the train now we're not gonna make it um or it's gonna be very close but also you're not guaranteed that the train's gonna even come which i'm not sure that it did so we kind of walk out and i was like well if i start running right now i can probably catch her because it was like a 45 minute because i was like i wonder what the walk is it was like a 45 minute walk so i was like okay i'm not gonna make it if i walk but i can make it if i run Cause I can get there in like, you know, 15 or 20 minutes. So that's what I did. Um, <laughs> I left your parents, abandoned your parents. They went to like kind of towards the finish line. Cause that was when I had told you I was going to be around the 21 mile mark to like give you some Gatorade and run with you. And I was like, well, I don't want to let her down. So I started running and I was keeping track with you like on the app. So I kind of see where you were. And then I saw, it's like, okay, I'm probably not going to make it to the 21 mile mark, but I can, I can make it to like the 23 mile mark. Um, and so I was just running down like basically one block off from the, the route and then cut over and was just running down the sidewalk and it started to thin out a little bit once you got away from like Michigan Ave. And so I kind of like pick, pick my spot where I was going to camp out and waited, but also my phone was dying. So I was really worried that like I wasn't going to be able to track you cause my, my phone had like 4%. It was very stressful. Um, but then I saw your little like thing coming and then I was like staring and I almost missed you again. So weird. But then I found you and I ran with you and I gave you Gatorade that you didn't need. And I'm yeah. Sure I was worried that the Gatorade on the course was going to be like diluted because sometimes that happens that it wasn't at all. So I, I thought, well, if Meredith's going to be there at the 21 mile mark, she can hand me a Gatorade just in case I need it. I didn't actually need it, but I took a couple swigs anyways for my effort. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was kind of funny, like, I mean, not like I, I, I mean, I obviously run too, but essentially I ran like five or six kilometers to get to you, got a little break and I was like, I was running. It wasn't a jog. It was like, I mean, I had my watch going, so I know what my pace was. I was getting it, but I made it. Um, yeah. And then ran for 
like half a kilometer or so and then peeled off and ran back to the finish line. It was good to see you at that point because the last, oh, the last, let's say, I want to say like, in my mind, it was six kilometers, but it was actually seven because I knew I was going to have to run that extra distance like on my watch. It was tough. Like that's when the race really started to get real. Well, it started to get real at like 27. Did you ever hit a wall? Like, no, but I like it was everything kind of came on very gradually. Mm-hmm. So it was like at the 21 at the halfway mark, like I had already started feeling my quads. I was like, hey, there's some like, like I'm, I don't know how to describe it. It was like there wasn't, they weren't getting tired, but they were starting to get like, you know, that feeling when you're, you haven't squatted in a while and you do a first set and you feel fine. And then the second set, you're like, mm, my legs kind of are, are getting sore already. Yeah. They're not sore yet, but they're like, it's like they're going to be sore tomorrow. That's what was happening. Yeah. And I'm like, I hope they hold out. And then my feet kind of started to hurt at like the 27. And then everything kind of was like fine. It just like everything was just kind of like tired. Um, But so then I started like going by miles because on the course they were counting down by miles like the in, like the people on the side of the course like you're five miles to go and like I could have sworn I heard five miles like on my watch and then probably like 15 minutes later I saw a sign up ahead it was right in the middle it was there was like a little like um bridge and there was a sign that said five mile and I was like what <laughs> how could this be how could this be and then I get closer and closer and I realize it says smile. <laughs> Probably because there's like a camera or something. There was. And I Hilarious. was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I could have sworn I was going crazy. Because I'm like, is that a three? And I was like, no, it's a five. It but it was an five. S. Hilarious. Um, But yeah, it was great. I mean, like then at the very last part, and thankfully somebody had told me about this, but you're running along and you think you just have to keep going straight. And then you turn a corner and you're like 400 meters from the finish and there's like a 200 meter long hill. That's like pretty aggressive. Yeah. And there were a ton of people walking up that hill <laughs> knowing that you're that close and you have to walk. Yeah. But I think there were a lot of people who were dealing with cramping. I saw more than a few. Yeah. I saw some people who were in the heats who started like way ahead of me who were like off to the side walking. Cause I think they had cramped up. Then yeah. this was way like earlier than the last hill. And then you get to the top of the hill, you turn left and then you have another like probably 150 meters to go before you cross the finish line. Yeah. And then I crossed the finish line and my legs were like, that's when they decided that they were done. We're done here. Yeah. <laughs> but there were some people like really in bad shape. Yeah. Like puking and stuff like that. Yep. But it was great. I mean, I felt properly trained. Fueling strategy worked out great. Experience was wonderful. And wearing that team in training, like that's a, at least in the endurance sports, I think for marathons, like that's a pretty well, well-known um, organization. And so I'll, I was running along and I would just hear like, go team. It was kind of nice. Mm-hmm. It was, it's always nice to get a little bit of extra cheering. Yeah. From people you don't even know. Yeah. So whenever I heard that, I would put my thumb up. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yep. No, that's great. Um, and then the day after the marathon. We flew home. 
I felt pretty, I felt okay. And then throughout that day, I started getting really sore. But um, the night, the night after the marathon, I got my period. Close one. Like literally like 10 hours later. Probably. Which I knew, I thought I was going to get it a couple days later. Um, I like, a couple months ago, I was like, shit, the timing is not good. <laughs> because I didn't want to get it on race day. Like I don't really get really bad symptoms. I didn't want to have to deal with it. And also sometimes I do get cramps and I'm like, eh, it just wouldn't be fun. Mm-hmm. I've, I've done CrossFit competitions and stuff with cramps and I don't think it really impacts my performance. It's just like, it's, it's like head. having a headache. It's just like not fun to have to deal with on top of trying to perform. You don't get luteal AF? I don't actually. <laughs> yeah. At least I don't think I do. Um, but I've read like everyone, well, m- I'm sure a lot of people now are familiar with Stacy Sims book Roar. Basically her she she argues that women are not small men and that their hormonal cycles need to be considered from a performance and training standpoint. And basically like you know she says that based on the studies that she's read um when you're in your first phase when your progesterone and estrogen are lower. Follicular. Yep. You're most similar. Specifically early follicular. Yeah. I guess. So like when you're on your period. Like the first one to seven days. You're most similar to a man in terms of your hormonal panel. Levels. Which I completely disagree with. Yeah. You disagree with that. Um, she says, so the first phase, you're more like a man. Like you're, you're going to feel better. You're going to perform better. You're not dealing with bloating. Um, you know, any of the like kind of PMS symptoms. And then you ovulate on in the middle of the, the 28 day cycle on day 14. And then the second, the f- second phase, the luteal fa- phase, your progesterone and estrogen are both higher and you're experiencing these PMS symptoms. But what some studies have observed is that your performance is actually lower. Um, like there have been some, some studies that say like, you don't, you don't, um, what I, I listened to a podcast and one of the, one RD said that you don't utilize carbs as well. Um, there's a bunch of statements that have been made about a female in their luteal phase mm-hmm. and the impacts like your, I guess like you're, if you're in a skill sport, your skills can be impacted. So like hockey, for example, um, and like she makes references in her book, but interestingly enough, like she doesn't have footnotes or anything like that like it's just like in the back of the books like chapter one and she lists all her references her reference section of that book is infuriating yeah it's it's frustrating um but anyways all that to say and meredith can go into this a bit more for me like i i've I've known about these types of studies and like especially stacy sims and i've read her book and i like it's kind of like it's kind of like the whoop thing you're almost self handicapping yourself. Like if I go in and I have this like belief that I perform worse in my luteal phase or like right leading up to my period, like I'm probably going to be self handicapping myself just from a mental standpoint. Cause you're like, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God. Yeah. Like, Oh my, my body doesn't utilize carbs the same way. Like how am I going to perform to my same potential? Maybe I should run slower or you're in the race. You're like, Oh, it's because of this. It's because of that. It's like, no, I just go out there and do it. Like 
I don't actually believe that that's necessarily the case for all females anyways. And I don't think with the, the amount of research that's currently been done, you can even make anything close to a blanket statement. Yeah. It, I think it's, it's tempting to, to want to be able to say like, we know this, this, and this, and because of this, that, and apply like some sort of law to women and say, this is the way it is. Like, these are the physiological facts, like go forth and train this way and eat this way this at this time. And don't eat this, you know, during luteal and these can be your expectations and strength gains happen here and this and this. And, um, that's a very tempting idea. It's alluring. It's like, Oh, we have the answer and now we can optimize. But like the fact of the matter is we don't have the answer. We have a very limited set of data and like partially that's because women are really difficult to study, but also like a lot of the studies that are out there are so low quality that you can't even draw conclusions from it. Like, um, you know, we were discussing this yesterday and so I started reading through like once I could figure out what the hell, like, study Stacy was referencing in what part of her book she makes that really difficult and I'm convinced she does that for a reason um so I found a couple studies that she references and you know one of them's done in young female athletes and just for example it says like you know you can expect greater strength gains during the the what is it the follicular early follicular phase of the menstrual cycle you know, based on research. And so I found the research and it's done in these young female athletes and all fine and good. It's not a high quality study, but it does show like strength gains were more significant in the early follicular phase based on, I think there was like maybe 20 athletes included in the study. Um, but just as an example of what confounding factors can be at play here, they don't control for other variables. So when you think about, and this is just me thinking, I w you know, I'm not positive and I can't say that this is definitely what happened, but this is just the way that my brain thinks. When you talk about calorie intake across a month, they're looking at like young female athletes, 18 to 22. And what we know happens in the late, like in the luteal, late luteal phase is like, you know, hunger goes up, cravings go up. Typically, if you're not restricting or monitoring calorie intake, calorie intake goes up by like 300 calories a day sometimes. And so you're telling me that you're not going to control for that, but you're going to assess the strength gains that occur in the week that follows a week of increased calorie intake. And like, that's a pretty massive confounding factor. In my opinion, you have a really well-fed athlete who is going to test strength numbers. Of course, they're going to lift better than they would later in the, in their cycle after probably a period of either intentional or unintentional restricted eating, knowing that they overate. So it's just like, that's kind of what we're dealing with, with these studies. And it's why some of them are quite low in quality. And I don't know that we really should be um, making blanket statements or applying these concepts as a universal truth for all women. Because we also know like, it's very individualized from like length of menstrual cycle to the symptoms experience. Like anyone uh, or any female athlete or female who gets a period can probably tell you like, yeah, it changes month to month. It's mm -hmm. not always the same. And some women have it worse than others. Um, so I kind of prescribe to not Stacey Sims uh, school of thought, but uh, there's this researcher out of the UK called named uh, Kelly McNulty. And she's, honestly, probably like the leading expert 
the is not as well known because she doesn't have an Instagram presence and she's not selling. Yeah, I mean, because she's she's a PhD candidate. She's actually she's doing research right now. She can't. She's not selling a book. She's not on Instagram. She's not she's doing on, webinars. Yeah, she's on Twitter, but doesn't really do much. Um, you can find her on Google Scholar. She has a podcast. She does have a podcast that's quite good. Um, but essentially, she's done two really thorough meta-analyses. And if you understand the hierarchy of like scientific research, a, a well-done meta-analysis is pretty like can be quite comprehensive. And so she included in her meta-analyses in her assessment of the menstrual cycle phase on athletic performance and female athletes, which I think might be the title of it. You can look that up. She, they started with like 4,000 papers or something like 4,000 research studies. And they like, they started excluding based on quality and criteria and this and this and this ended up with like 78 that were the right design and high quality enough to include in the meta-analysis. And then based on the, um, the research in that meta-analysis, she found that the, there might be a trivial impact to performance during the early follicular phase, the menstrual cycle, which is the opposite of what Stacey Sims says. Um, and that's just what's observed in, in the research. That's like, that's, sort of a, a culmination of research. But just the fact that, they, that those two disagree kind of tells you where we are with the state of the research in female athletes. And Kelly is very, very adamant that any modification to training and nutrition should be assessed on an individual level and that it really does start with the individual female athletes starting to keep track and log symptoms, um, energy levels, performance, this and that, because that energy is what, intake yeah and and that's what should inform the training approach not some sort of overarching dogmatic you know view of the menstrual cycle in female athletes sorry we got off track yeah because well i mean for me I, like in my head i was like oh no i'm gonna be in my luteal phase well you weren't actually like that maybe early it, on for a minute i was yeah for a minute I was and also like there are months where I do deal with like certain PMS symptoms and I'm like ugh, yeah you know, you know. I don't want to be feel <laughs> bloated on the marathon <laughs> yeah I'm gonna be bloated enough when but I'm then done at some point you just have to be like you know what it is what it is like um you know I've read about about uh athletes who try to manipulate their cycles for competition but like the fact of the matter is like it is I'm, i just think of, about how you would even do that for a, an athlete and it's not like let's just say you're a let's say you're a, a tennis player okay and you have a you have a, a an event on june 14th good day and then you have another event on july 1st yeah and then you have another event on August 18th. Mm -hmm. And then you have another event that the next weekend, August 24th. How the hell <laughs> do you manipulate? Like, unless like maybe if you're running, like, you know, you're doing the, the Olympics or uh, you're in a world championships or you're like me and you're running one marathon and it, you know, you're, it's your job and you're making money and it means a lot. Then maybe you can start manipulating things. Yeah. Um, but that can bring a whole other slew of stuff. Like anyone who's gone on and off the pill 
that's that can have a real impact on like your hormones and your cycle and yeah more like prolonged use but yeah kelly mcnulty not also, even prolonged use going on it yeah the first couple of weeks could be really bad for some people for some yeah but kelly mcnulty's other meta-analysis is on just that and it's the effect of oral contraceptives yeah. on athletic performance and same observation trivial impact of performance very individualized which is interesting because in crossfit i think it was like last year there was a whole thing going around about how a lot of females who were on who were taking oral contraceptive contraceptives were coming off of it because of the research showing that it has a negative impact on performance and like overall strength gains so again it's like you're you know hey you're making decisions that you know are involve your body based on a very small pool of research i don't think that anyone should go on the pill without like a great deal of consideration but for some people that have like picos or endometriosis or just have very bad pms symptoms Mm -hmm. like the the pill is a like a low dose hormone pill is a very effective way to manage those symptoms and that might outweigh the the risks or the potential downside because if if by going on the pill you get an extra week of higher quality training well that's going to negate any like you know, strength gains that come or strength impacts that come from it. Yeah. And like, hello, if you're on an estrogen pill, like that's a, that's an anabolic pill that is going to help you. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess what we're saying is there's no like one size fits all fits all approach because the research just isn't there. And we're not saying like, you know, your, your cycle does or doesn't impact performance. It depends on the person. Yeah. And I, I honestly think that keeping keeping track of things can be really helpful and figuring out what what works i have some clients who are like hey the week before your period like we increase calories by 50, 50 gram or you know 50 grams carbs yeah or increase fat intake or whatever yeah whatever feels good yeah for like a day or two or it's even helpful to know like and this is you know i work with a couple people who do track their weight daily maybe they're weight class athletes maybe not and so they know that their weight goes up by a couple pounds the week before. If you didn't know that because you don't routinely track your weight, but you're on a a nutrition program and you're tracking your weight periodically and you get on the scale the week before and you're like, oh my God, I've gained three pounds. You're going to panic. You're Mm going to freak out. But if you know that because you track in addition to other things and symptoms and, you know, components, but you track your weight, it's not going to have that big. You're like, oh, that's normal. Yeah, it always happens. It'll go back down in a week. And that's that makes sense, right? Because like your body stores glycogen differently. It holds onto water for about five days. Your weight's gonna go up. You're gonna look puffy. You're gonna feel fat. <laughs> Yourself. Your You're gonna text your gonna nutrition go coach and be like, what's going on? You're fired, but also I still need your help. <laughs> <laughs> you did this. <laughs> It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like maybe we're, you're just paying closer attention that's, than you normally that's do. That's a great message. You're fired, but I still need your help. Yeah. <laughs> Give me someone else on your team. Let me talk to your manager. <laughs> you know, uh, it's super common, but I think it's, it's un and like, this is just the narrative around the menstrual cycle and period of stuff. It's, it's not something that is, I mean, it, it has been for many years tab a taboo topic, the, the female body generally, like, you know, you, you're in a restaurant you got to like, Oh, I got to change my tampon. So you like fidget around in your purse and then you like shove a tampon in your pants. Cause heaven forbid someone like see you walk to the bathroom, you know, like, it's a human body. Like 50% <laughs> of the world's population is female, maybe more. 
Like, why That's is so it? That's so true. <laughs> why is it? That's <laughs> something like, that everyone goes through is, is, has to be held in such secret. Or how about when you're in the bathroom <laughs> and you're like trying to unwrap it as quietly as possible. And then you put in that little like metal gar- like garbage and you're like slowly, <laughs> slowly closing it. So it doesn't make that like clearly it's the metal. Like, yeah. Because God forbid the stranger beside you knows you're ha- you have your period. Yeah. It's like you're like opening it. You're like. <coughs> I'm just having a, I'm having some crackers. That's not what you think it is. Why is that? It's so weird. I don't know. It's like just- even when I first started dating you, it's like. <laughs> Happens to both of us. And it's like, mm. it's like, you're like, I'm going to take the garbage out again today, <laughs> all the way out to the dumpster. It just, I have a thing with garbage. Yeah. yeah. But, um, <laughs> anyways, all of that to, to say, um, <laughs> if we just pay more attention to our own bodies, you start to, to pick up on patterns. Yeah. And those patterns are what matter, not the patterns that a researcher or, you know, someone trying to sell a book matters. Yeah. And then at that point, you can start um, experimenting with certain supplements uh, or, I don't know, for me, it's like painkillers. Two Advil, two Tylenol. Yeah, and I'm, I'm talking like this in the most like non, like aggressive Not approach. opioids? Yeah, I'm not like, like... Um, yeah, so like if I if I know I'm getting my period, like as soon as I know it's there or whatever, I just instantly take like two two Tylenol, two Advil, just to like avoid the process of, you know, dealing with any cramping. I find that helps a lot. But then I know some, you know, there's some other ways that you can help. You can increase, um, like I read one of our clients, who's one of Lindsay's clients, increases magnesium supplementation. Yeah. Around that t- around that time, you can also increase like. You can also manipulate your macros, like higher fat, lower fat, higher carb, lower carb on certain, you know, phases. Some people find that beneficial. So yeah. it, but it's so personal and individualized. Totally, yeah. And the one good thing, like not to say Stacey Sims is a kook. She's not. She's really smart. She, I think was tenured at Stanford or like one of those crappy schools. <laughs> but um, so obviously she knows her stuff. But in, in the the one good thing that she, well, not one, but one of the good things that she's done is she has gotten people talking about this. Oh, and yeah. Has probably inspired a whole lot of other researchers to to ask the questions that need to be asked and to maybe design studies in a way that, you know, can answer questions or, you know, definitively say, like, we're not going to have an answer to this to apply universally. And that's okay. Yep. Um, women are just special. And we all know that. Yep. Yeah. Um, I also, so I was listening to this podcast on the way home. It's a running podcast I listened to and they had a, an RD on and they were talking about, they were busting nutrition myths. And one of the nutrition myths was like, or they, they ended up on the topic of carb loading. And I was like, hmm, this will be interesting. I wonder what she has to say about it. And she was saying that females don't benefit as much from carb loading as men and specifically don't benefit as much from carb loading in a, in their luteal phase. And I was like, and then she goes on to talk about her anecdotal evidence (laughs) on carb loading because she ran a marathon once and she ended up eating 350 grams carbs to test it. 
and didn't really notice a difference. And I was like, okay. So they were busting. Why would you say that on a podcast? Like you're busting nutrition myths and then you're going to you're you're going to use your own anecdotal evidence to talk, about, uh, to talk about to talk about a nutritional strategy that's extremely like well known and been researched to be beneficial for endurance-based athletes of any sex. Of any sex, yeah. Like so <sighs> that you she busted a nutrition myth with a nutrition myth. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Or did she bust a non-myth with a myth? I don't know what the the myth, what that led, like what was the the myth that led to that conversation. I think it was, I think the myth was that sugars are bad. That was the myth. Interesting conclusion to draw. Or like well, interesting. Because then they were, they were, she was basically saying sugars can be really beneficial for endurance-based athletes. And then they got into the topic of carb loading. Oh, Okay. And then she was giving her own. Yeah, I mean that's two just, cents on carb loading. That's not really true. No, um, for for me, and Meredith too for her half marathon, I consumed five hundred and fifty grams carbs the day before. Crushed it. I really did. Yeah, which isn't hard for me because I'm not a I'm not a big eater, but you are a big carb eater. I do like carbs, so it like of all of all things, like carbs were definitely the e- easiest. And then at my fat, I basically was like, okay, I'm not going to have fat targets or protein targets. I'm going to prioritize carbs and whatever like fat and protein ends up at, that's fine. Which is, yeah, that's Th- totally like fine. knowing that they were going to be low. So I ended up at 55 grams fat and 64 grams protein. Roughly. I had to estimate a few items because we ate out a couple yeah. times. But I think um, if you, if you aren't like, if you're not familiar with doing it or not, like I think you do have to work to keep your fat slow because if you let your fat start drifting up, then digestion really slows down and then you just start to feel kind of bad. Yeah. Like there was a couple points in the day. I'm like, dang, I wish I could have like, you know, a cookie or a donut, something like that mm-hmm. because you know, that's carbs, but it also does have a lot of fat. Yeah. And that, that starts to add up like even 55 grams fat and I didn't eat anything that had fat in it. It just kind of adds up. Yeah. Like a significant amount of fat. I mean, yeah. I think I had a tiny bit of almond butter in the morning, but the rest was all like carb-based stuff with just like miscellaneous fat yep. in it. Um, and then the, the two days before that, the Thursday, Friday, I tried to keep protein a little on the lower side and fat. And then um, I ended up eating about the same amount of calories as I usually do, but I, I shifted the ratio just to include more carbs. And then um, my training volume had gone down quite a bit that week as well just from the taper yeah so i was pretty stocked up on glycogen um but if i should i talk about what i ate yeah for like the day before sure yeah so just to get an idea of like what 550 grams carbs looked like so the big thing for me and meredith helped me with this was the night before I, I like planned ahead because you can't just like go by you just be like, oh, I'm just going to eat 500 grams carbs. Like, especially if you're not used to eating that much. Usually I eat around like 350. Yep. So eating an extra 200 is a lot of work. Um, So I, I planned it out and I started early because you don't want to leave anything till the last minute because then you're, you know, if you have to eat like 200 grams carbs in one sitting, that can be quite uncomfortable. So I got up and I had um, about like 55 grams of carbs in oatmeal and some rice cakes and banana and jam a tiny bit of almond butter as i said so that meal had like close to 90 grams carbs like right off the bat and then we went out and we bought one of those acai bowls 
Yep. Which had, it was, it had like honey. I didn't get any peanut butter or anything on it. It had cocoa nibs. I believe it's cacao. Cacao nibs. Those were delicious. Some like, oh, uh, uh, granola was in there. Yeah. And then fruit. So that had a hundred grams carbs. And then a few hours later it had, like we were out, it was when we were coming back from the Miracle Mile (laughs) and we stopped at Bow. We wow, buns. Yeah, bao buns. So I just got like a big bowl of rice with a bit of like teriyaki chicken on top. So with the the bowl and the white rice, that was 170 grams carbs. And then throughout that morning, I had had also a big one of those big bottles of Gatorade, which was 50 grams carbs. Um, one of those like Kellogg's Rice Krispie squares, but like the long ones, like yeah. the family size ones yeah. that you get at Seven Eleven. So that was 60, 61 grams carbs. Minus the bite that I had. Minus the bite you had. And then I was just kind of like grabbing a couple nibs here and there. Because if you know me, I like like my nibs. And then for dinner, I had some, we had, we went for pasta dinner. So I had some pasta and it had a little bit of like ground beef in it and pasta sauce. And then before bed, I had a couple bowls of frosted flakes and some more candy. So really, like, I didn't have any vegetables that day. No, I had some fruit. But there's no sense in filling up on vegetables for the day before because it just kind of takes away from, like, it takes up space. Um, I always recommend for people who are carb loading, like, you still want your fiber to be some, like, relatively high. And by high, I mean, like, around the same ballpark that you usually eat. It's like 25 grams. Yeah, because, like, otherwise you could... Not deal poop. with some constipation problems usually that wouldn't happen in like a day but no and if you're eating like cereals and granolas and stuff like that you'll get it in yeah and even at like oatmeal has a lot of has some pro uh, fiber in it so yeah that was like that was a day it was it definitely was like an effort and i was that i was totally that nerd who was like carrying around a gatorade bottle the day before like i'm running the marathon gotta curb up I mean, you weren't running like a, a random ru- running shirt. So that's, at least you weren't doing that. Yeah. Um, but that 100% helps carb loading. I will say that you can't just like, if you're eating like 140 grams carbs per day and you're going to, you're running a marathon this weekend that you should start by eating 500 grams carbs the day before. Like you have to build up to that. And also it like how much you eat for carbs depends on, the size, like the size of your body, how many carbs you're, you normally eat. If you've practiced carb loading, there's a, a different a number of factors you have to consider. Yeah. So usually with people that we work with endurance athletes, we like, obviously they, they probably have something on their calendar from a, like a competition or like a racing standpoint. So we always try to, in the, the months, like the weeks or months le- leading up, just practice a carb load like the exact numbers that like on one of their, their long runs or whatever on the weekends have them carb load two days before, just like you would for a race day and just make sure that they can tolerate it. Um, and it's a good way to, to start practicing that. Yeah. Like an ideal goal for a carb load. And again, there are a few different factors to consider here, but if you take your body in kilos, kilograms, and then you multiply it by like eight to 10, and that's the number of carbs that, you know, would qualify as a carb load. Yep. 
Um, and then the morning of, I had almost a hundred grams of carbs before the race which started at eight. So I had, had you were a, up early that day. Yeah. Got up just before I got five, yep. I think. Cause we left at like six 30. So I had some oatmeal and then rice cakes with a small amount of almond butter, some bananas and then coffee. And then I had some like half a bottle of Gatorade, like while I was waiting for the race to start. Usually I have those stinger gummies, but I gave them to Meredith and then forgot to grab them before I went into wow. the, the start area. Um, and then during the race, I had a lot of carbs. Yeah. I had, they had aid stations with water and Gatorade every like one to two miles. So I think there were 18, they said, car- aid stations. Yeah, there were loads. So I tried to get in. 20 grams of carbs every 20 minutes. I had six gel packs with me and then tried to get Gatorade. So I had a gel pack every 8K and then tried to get Gatorade in between. Yep. And then when I took the gel pack, I tried to time it with the water station so I could have water with the gel. Which is pretty important. It it, it does make a big difference. Yeah. So a lot of people will struggle. And this can either be because they haven't practiced with gels um, or gummies, but sometimes they, sometimes people will just, they'll take them and they, they won't drink anything, any water, anything with them. And so what happens there is you end up with this super concentrated, like bolus amount of sugar in your stomach that needs water to be processed properly. So the best thing you can do is take a gel and then have like two to four ounces of plain water with it. Like nothing, no Gatorade, no sugar, nothing in it, just plain water that helps dilute it to the proper <coughs> like osmolality so that it can be like transported across your GI membranes into your blood system. If that doesn't happen, if you just take the gel and you don't have a lot of fluids in your stomach, which tends to happen when you're running and exercising cause you're sweating. Then what, what occurs is your stomach in order to process this thing that you've just eaten will pull fluids from your body into your GI system to help digest the carbs that you just ate. So sometimes that's fine. Other times it can start to cause like some GI cramping, muscle cramping, that kind of thing, because you're sort of annoyingly dehydrating yourself a little bit. So always recommend plain water with gels. Yeah. And make sure you test out the gels and know what flavors you like. Because we have different preferences for gels yeah i like the i like fruity gels uh strawberry salted watermelon pineapple the salted watermelon isn't isn't bad it's it's okay it's the only fruit one i'll take yeah and i hate the chocolate vanilla like cappuccino ones i think they taste like disgusting pudding knockoffs i had a couple cold brew ones out there Mm -hmm. those were good one of my clients his favorite is uh the coca-cola yeah. And I hate that one. It tastes, it's too sweet. It tastes like the, um, those Coca-Cola candies, Yep, which I never liked the gummies yeah. with the sugar on them. I just not a fan of those, Yeah, but he loves it. And then they have a birthday cake one, which I like too, but the, the coffee ones are like, there's a caramel mochaccino or something. Yeah. That one's pretty good. Salted chocolate. 
those are my favorites yeah but you had so for for the race you had a strategy pretty much mapped out like you knew exactly what you were going to eat exactly what you were going to drink and at what intervals it was going to happen yeah like i kind of had to go a bit by feel for the gator in the water like it was also way warmer than i was expecting so i tried to get in more fluids than i could there was i started getting a little nauseous at the end so i think i skipped a station because i was like i can't i can't do anything right now yeah and then i was fine by the next station yep so you have to go i went a bit by feel but luckily like i don't know how it is for a lot of the smaller marathons like i don't think calgary had quite as many water stations well i think that was also a covid thing oh yeah that too also if you're ever running a marathon the strategy is to grab the cup pinch it and then put it in your mouth because if you don't pinch it the water just sloshes all over your face yep um but i was i was saying i don't think that i could have held i wouldn't have held up at that pace without such a great nutrition strategy obviously i'm a little biased because i think nutrition is very important but having done some long training runs up to like 35 kilometers without the amount of fluid and the amount of carbs and without the carb load i did not feel as good and I didn't bounce back after the marathon quite as well. Yeah. Like I felt pretty good after like energy wise. Like I didn't feel like I was super dehydrated, stuff like that. Yeah. I did have to go straight to a hotel to go to the washroom. Number two. <laughs> when you finished? Yeah. Yeah. I thought I was going to have to use another porta potty, but I held off. Said you walked into the Hilton said uh, i just finished a marathon i'm gonna need a face mask and please point me to the nearest bathroom, <laughs> pretty much which i'm gonna bomb yeah but better at the end than in the middle which i'm sure happens so. yeah yeah well good job i know uh i'm proud of you thanks i think it's pretty impressive i don't think people realize what it it is like to run a to run 26 miles at that pace it's not something you can just do because you're good at running. Like it actually, you need to train it. So. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, there was a couple little niggly injuries along the way where I had to cut a couple runs short. But other than that, I didn't, I didn't actually skip any runs Yeah, in my training. I was, I really prioritized training and like stuck to my paces and was disciplined, diligent and paid off. And you were still, so like your training was still only three days a week of running. Yeah. Plenty of gym work. I mean, like just, uh, what, two weeks ago you snatched 170, which is pretty impressive. It's like a big lift for you generally. And it happened in the middle of marathon training. So I think it's, it's interesting. Um, the, (laughs) the combination of, of traditional strength and conditioning training with endurance added on top i think you're what you did was particularly impressive i mean like you know i'm i'm medium impressive you're really impressive oh thanks you're welcome i think i'm gonna run another marathon so stay posted oh yeah i mean you qualified for boston so i feel like that should definitely happen be a good excuse to go to boston i think so i think that's it that was overall, I just, oh, I will say, um, I'm sure you saw on Instagram because we've done like three different posts about it, but 
um, thank you, like, for all the support. Even just, you know, clapping hands on my stories about great runs that I had throughout training. But also, if you donated uh, to my fundraising efforts, thank you so much. Like, it made a really big difference. I know that the the people who work at Team and Training were just beside themselves um, with not only how much like I donated, but there were about 200 people who ran the Chicago marathon in fundraising for TNT and total together, we all raised over $600,000. That's actually, that's crazy. So um, that was, I think that was a pretty, pretty cool number to hear. And I'm not probably won't do it again for a while because I think I sucked my resources dry. But if you are somebody who wants to run a marathon like the Chicago Marathon or even San Francisco or some one of the bigger ones, and it's hard to get in, you have to you have to enter into a lottery. A really easy way to get in is to sign up with one of these organizations and fundraise a little bit of money, and you can get a free entry. And it just kind of makes the marathon extra extra special so highly highly recommend if you guys have any questions about it you can reach out to me and i'd be happy to help you yeah if i can cool well thanks for listening as always um thanks for following along everyone who messaged and commented on our the tactic stories on the weekend we really appreciate that and yeah we'll we'll talk to you guys soon